Hey, welcome to Escape from Plan A. This is Teen. We're going to do something a little bit different going forward. We're going to start doing, because some of these podcasts that we've been recording have been going pretty long. I talked to this week's guest, Adam Hudson, um, about Biden uh, and uh, Pan-Africanism and a whole bunch of other things. It's a very interesting conversation, but we went for about two and a half hours. And we've been doing this a lot, and I know that's a lot to cover. That's a lot for uh, a one podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to release the first hour or, or so as a free pod and then we're going to release part two simultaneously uh on the on the on the patreon feed and so if you uh so the first hour will be a standalone pod um for anyone who's not a patron and if you want to listen to the follow-on pod um you know think about subscribing over at patreon.com slash mag and we'll have the second part there escape from plan a Welcome back to Escape from Plan. I'm here with uh, Adam Hudson, who was on uh, actually a very popular episode, like the one that you, when you and Andre came on. Yeah. um, That got... Big downloads. I don't know if you guys like brought like a portable audience with you or something. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I didn't know that, but I'm I'm really glad to know that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was, it was like it was like three hours long too. Right. <laughs> cool. I, I felt kind of bad because um, I was like, oh shit, like how's team gonna edit this? <laughs> I felt bad for myself after that, but then I was like, you know what? Why? Why edit it? I mean, just throw everything in, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's and like yeah. That's got, like, like double the downloads. I mean, that's the thing about podcasting, right? Where you can have um, uh, unfiltered conversations, whereas like for, yeah. you know, like TV, radio, um, there's a lot more concision and editing and those sorts of things. So that's like you were saying before we recorded, like, you know, mainstream media, state propaganda, like that's a tactic. It's like, you know, you just edit, edit all the um, the good stuff out and make people say easy talking points and nice sound bites rather than flesh out a whole idea and get people to think on like a higher level. Um, but yeah, podcasting, yeah, it allows for that kind of free flowing conversational format, which, uh, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of them, but I can see why Joe Rogan is popular with people. When he, when it's good, like I haven't listened to, I rarely listen to him, but, um, Kanye or yay. Ye oh. <laughs> was on was on recently and I listened to it and it's like strangely compelling, you know? Mm. <laughs> I was like, like just, just inter- listening just like listening to two dudes talking in a garage cuz I didn't uh, yeah, wait, what did you think of the I I didn't watch it. I know um Q Andre watched it I think a bit. Yeah. The the Ye interview? Yeah. I mean, it was like I haven't gotten it's pretty long. I haven't gotten through it all, but like mm. it's it's honestly refreshing to hear two people where i'm not sure what their agenda is like i don't know (laughs) they're not being very operative you know what i mean in that sense they're not being operational Mm -hmm. so they're just like talking yeah yeah and that alone is interesting to me at this point yeah because i think joe rogan like i mean my issue with him is obviously like he he platforms a lot of alt-right people with no um he doesn't push back on them like he doesn't push back on someone like a gavin mcginnis but Joe Rogan himself, like, 
in terms of his his own individual ideology, he's just like all over the place. Because there will be some things he says, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, he has a point. Then other things he says, I'm like, mm, no, I don't agree with that. But yeah, he's he's kind of uh, he gets a little bit too enamored with like the Ben Shapiro's of the world. Like I don't, uh, but the format of the the, the Rogan podcast, I can I see its appeal because yeah, it's just like you know some people in a garage talking and it sounds like you know you're you're with your friends you've been drinking you're like yeah so what do you think about aliens i don't know man what do you right, think yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and i think the appeal of rogan is rogan it's not any mm-hmm. viewpoint of rogan it's not any belief system or yeah you know whatever it's i think people just like him yeah and kanye is the same way like I don't know what Kanye stands, what Ye stands for. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand his belief system, but he's still fascinating to me because, like, he kind of sounds crazy, but then sometimes he sounds like he makes a lot of sense. Mm. But through it all, he also has a lot of like buy-in from influential people, so he's like legitimate. Like he knows everyone, yeah, and he's got a shitload of money, mm-hmm. so he's he's legitimate legitimized in all those ways like he has social power he has capital mm-hmm. and, and yet he's also seemingly totally unbeholden yeah to anything but his own strange way of thinking and it's yeah. it's it's honestly fascinating <laughs> yeah um i mean what you're that actually reminds me of uh um what should i call it i was hearing about 50 cent endorsing donald trump and then oh and this is like oh god uh so for Real Sun Car Hours, which uh, I co-host, um, we did a bonus episode about Chelsea Handler. So the comedian. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. 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 And she uh, she had a uh, um, it was a documentary, quote unquote, about white privilege. <laughs> it was like, hello, Chelsea. <laughs> it's me, privilege. And I watched it because I was like, I need I because no Chelsea Handler like. I said it, I said in the bonus episode that she's like a case study of what happens when a really rich white liberal woman you know gets woke and politicized in 2016 because of Donald mm, Trump mm, and mm-hmm. like cuz previously her career was always she was always like the white girl who just talked a lot of shit and people thought it was funny but she would say like you know edgy humor and stuff that's like politically incorrect, but it was often like a code for just being very racist um, yeah. and, and offensive and like, like offensive in a way where it's like not even funny. So uh, mm. she goes from that and now she's like, hashtag woke, let me check my white privilege. So I watched it. I watched the documentary and I thought like, this would be a good thing to talk about for our podcast. And uh, um, she, uh, she used to date 50 Cent. Um, like, cause she's, she's like one of the, if you, if you watch the documentary, she's like one of those, she grew up as one of those white girls who, um, I mean, she did grow up like, you know, from a, like a, a rough family and a rough background, but she liked to kind of, she really liked being around black people, but it wasn't like in a, um, familial way like she she had a record of like dating a lot of black men but in a way that was like um 
Because there is actually a scene in which, like, she talked to, she found one of her uh, ex-boyfriends who was in prison on a drug deal. Um, and then he, he was out. And then um, she finally caught up with him. And she was talking about, like, all these times in which the cops would pull them over and she would be in the car, like, drinking underage. But he would always get in trouble for, like, having, like, maybe a dime bag or something like that. Um, and that was, like, her sort of moment of, like, dang i my white skin really got me out of those situations like, her, her like moment of clarity yeah it was just like what yeah. like my yeah. white privilege literally got her like it was a difference between like yeah like him going to prison her being this you know star so yeah and then so now she's dating well she dated 50 cent and she said on jimmy fallon's show she said you know, I was really mad that like 50 Cent endorsed Donald Trump and I had to call him and reminded him that like, you know, you are a black man and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what yeah, What yeah. gives you like... She's, like I think she said, uh, you're a black man and you can't vote. Right. You have to vote Democrat. Right. Like, it was like, what wait, <laughs> What gives you that authority to do that? Like, yeah. I mean, because I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, fuck Donald Trump, obviously, but like there is, I, I think because you and I were talking on Twitter, uh, about this about like the whole uh um kind of alarmism around black men voting for donald trump and yeah. like uh, ice cube was in the news right it was because ice cube. he had sent his uh i think he had sent his sort of like policy like which was a serious policy proposal yeah to both parties and he said the democrats never responded but the republicans responded yeah and i guess donald trump had seized on that as an opportunity right and rightfully so. I mean, honestly, like if the Dems are just going to be like, yeah, fuck off. Why? Sh- they're going to be opportunistic about it. They're going to be opportunistic about it. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I- yeah. Because the thing is, is um, like uh, the thing that, well, first of all, like the like black men as a demographic largely don't vote. Dem- like they largely don't vote Republican. Like if you look at like actual like numbers, so it's like you're picking yeah. on the one demographic that's so it's barely double digits, right? In terms right. of percentage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lowest probably. I think of all the racial gender demographics, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think black men as a group are the second most concentrated support for the Dems behind black women, but only yes. by a little small margin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Basically, like the gender gap in terms of voting between black men and black women uh, is is not like there is a gap. I mean, because in general, women tend to be more progressive than men. Like that's 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 that rule is consistent across all racial and ethnic groups. But um, both black men and black women are consistently Democrat. Um, and, but the thing is like, look, there are black people who are conservative and black people who are centrist and, um, independent. So it's like, you know, uh, basically the percentage of black men who are probably going to vote for Trump is not beyond the norm. But, um, uh, anyway, oh, oh shit. I almost lost my point. Um, well, I will add this. I I, want to interject on this because I, 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 the same thing happens, I think with Asians where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- you, there's, there is a phenomenon of like, you know, groups, uh, Asian American groups that support Donald Trump, like pretty enthusiastically and in far yeah. higher numbers than like mm-hmm. black people do. Like, yeah, yeah. We're talking like 30%, you know, yeah. on certain groups. And even then I'll notice like, I mean, obviously, 
uh, I think they're wrong, mm-hmm. right? To to I, I don't think you know I've spoken with Trump supporters, Asian mm-hmm. Trump supporters, and I think that their assessment of of the situation is just inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not even gonna say that they're like bad politics. I just think that they don't understand Trump, yeah. which is why they're supporting him, right? And right, right, um, right. but the thing I've noticed is that the way that sort of like you see that because sometimes the story does trickle up into the mainstream media mm-hmm. that the response is always framed as what's wrong with these people like what yes how, how did they become so wrong like how do they right how do they how do they violate the, right. you know their obligation to do the right thing but 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 on the other hand when huge numbers of white people support trump the response is totally different from the little exactly. Side saying, what did right. we do wrong? How right. did we lose <laughs> right. them? Right. And how do we change ourselves to win them back? Right. That and okay. Now I remember my point. Yeah, because what, what I was saying with the whole Fifty Cent thing and Chelsea Handler, like what pissed me off because, like with Fifty Cent, he's he supported people forget this, but back in two thousand five, he Fifty Cent supported supported George W. Bush. But 50 Cent has always been like the conservative. Like, I mean, he has that kind of gangster persona, but it's always like, I just want to get money. I want to make money and I'm going to support the person who's uh, not going to tax me too much. And that was his reasoning for saying he would endorse Trump because he said like, oh, Joe Biden's tax plan is going to hurt me. I'm going to go from 50 cent to 20 cents. So I'll go for Trump. So I don't, I mean, obviously don't agree with that, but he's consistent like that's what he believes like he's he, like if if i feel like anybody who knows 50 cent like oh yeah him supporting trump is predictable but he he also didn't couch that as a black position he, cou- no, he couched right. that as a i'm rich position exactly right, Exa- because, right. yeah 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 well, my point is that like going back to what you said is this paternalistic idea that um uh black people owe their allegiance to the democratic party like we have to vote democrat like oh you're black so you're supposed to vote democrat rather than like hey you know what like not voting for either party or voting third party or having any other position that is beyond um democratic loyalty and even black people who vote democrat like aren't super enthused because even with um i think i think the real division is actually generational among black voters because boomers and gen x black people are more solidly democrat but if you look at black millennials and black like gen z who are like basically in college right now so they're they're becoming of age to vote um you know they're millennials and zoomers and i'm a, a millennial like we grew up with like the 2008 crash um the disappointment with the obama years black lives matter so our politics are a little bit different. So like they're going to be young black people who vote Democrat, but they're not enthused. Like they're not, I don't, I don't really meet a lot of black millennials who are like, yeah, I really like Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. It's more like, you know what? I hate Trump, but I also fucking hate Biden. Uh, I'm just going to vote Democrat because, uh, you know, like they're not ha- like, they're not enthused about voting Biden Harris. Right. Yeah, so, right. but it's, it, it's that like, mentality that oh if you're non-white you are supposed to vote democrat versus um you know maybe having a a a different set of beliefs and ideologies or even like because i think i think honestly like uh 
one of the more rational positions i think would be like you know what this entire two-party system sucks so i'm not going to vote for either party i'm going to vote third party or i'm going to tune out like that's a very i would say a very logical position but the thing is for you know those kinds of democrats who are like Ugh, like why aren't you voting democrat well that's your job to convince them to vote democrat they don't they don't owe yeah. you an explanation you owe them an explanation like you're supposed to convince them to vote democrat that and tell them like actually if you vote democrat it's in your interest but they don't do that it's just more like oh if you don't vote democrat you've got to be stupid like there's something wrong with you like you're so dumb but yeah like you said with yeah. like white people who, yeah like if you look if you look at the numbers like white people are more conservative like it's especially white men i think it's uh oh, i'm trying to remember i i remember looking at the numbers a couple of days ago but it's a heavy majority of them that support trump y- yeah yeah it's a majority white of white men are mm-hmm. yeah, white men more or more or something like that it's very high i yeah. mean if you see a white man yeah, in america it's far more likely that he's a trump supporter than not <laughs> right yeah so just right but off the bat no like, one... that's just how it works <laughs> but no one no like there's no videos trying to like oh what's wrong with white men like how can we like you don't like the there's not there's not there's not the same level of like uh there's something wrong with white men oh yeah because only white men and to 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 an extent that to a greater extent than we had realized white women are mm-hmm. the only ones that are really in play in this election and everyone else is meant to just get in line you know right and and I was um, read I was reading so. an article about um Latino men who are voting for Trump because I live in California and I I know some like some of the some of the people you're talking about like Latino and, and Asian men who are I wouldn't say Trump supporters but like have some they have some conservative views I think would surprise people let's just say that like mm, yeah um but one thing I've noticed and one thing this article pointed out is that a lot of Latino men are overrepresented in police and the military because i've noticed that like like especially like when you join the police and the military that's a hotbed of conservative politics like that there's you know so i i I rarely meet well i mean okay i wouldn't say rarely but um i've often met people who join the military and come out a lot more um because i think like with the conservative narrative I can tell like there's certain kind of um, arguments that appeal like the um, like the idea of a good immigrant or like, you know, the, the kind of assim- American assimilationism. Like there's certain things about the conservative narrative that like, even if one doesn't agree, I can, I can see rationally. Like, oh, I can see why like Latino and Asian men would probably lean conservative. It's not, you don't have to agree with them but it's like oh i can see why that would happen like it's you know what i mean like it's not something that's like Mm -hmm. it's it's not something that like mind-boggling like how could they they're yellow they're brown you know right right how 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 possibly could this happen you know right yeah it's not mind-boggling and the thing is is if you're if if those people are so concerned it's like well maybe you should convince them that voting democrat or voting for a more progressive politician would be more in their interest. Cause those men I think are making a calculation and like, Hey, look, I'm going to get something. If I vote Republican, it's a better um, option. And, and even that article pointed out, cause I do remember reading um, 
there is a Mexican-American poet, I forgot his name, but he had a poem where he was talking about um, Mexicans who join um, uh, Border Patrol. Yeah, there we go. Border Patrol and ICE. And he was he was criticizing them, like, hey, look, like, how can you join Border Border Patrol, but then still play a role in deporting your fellow Mexicans? And so when I read there was that that article actually did point out that some of the agencies, some some Latino men join are agencies like Border Patrol and ICE. And so, yeah, if you're in that institution, um, y- you know, like it's it's not out of the blue. It's not like uh, it's not like crazy to think like oh yeah maybe they would support trump i mean if they're if they're you know the type who would probably join an agency like ice or border patrol um they might see like yeah trump is right when it comes to like deporting people and stuff like that you know can, like, can i also say i mean and i'm i don't know if you watched the debate or hmm. got familiar with some of the key exchanges in it but i mean and i and i was watch i was trying to watch it for substance and there was actually quite a bit of substance when it came to uh, immigration and race. Mm. And I actually thought Trump landed some serious uh, punches oh, against. I, uh, I I missed that part. So, yeah, just yeah, fill me in on that. Yeah, I mean, I, OK, I, for, first, I think that Trump has caught on to some of what I would consider leftist discourse around the complicity of Obama's administration in mm. deportations. Ooh, oh, oh. And, right. He oh, caught yeah. on to that and he oh. said that those cages that you're accusing me of putting children in, I didn't build those cages. You did. Ooh. Right. I mean, he really landed that, that landed and he actually forced Biden to admit that the administration had made a mistake and that he wanted to remind, and this was the first time he had, had distanced himself from Obama and said that I was the vice president, not the president. I mean, that was a real, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't make (laughs) Trump any better in that sense, but it does kind of be like, you know, come down to my level because I don't know what the fuck you're going on about. At least I own up to what I'm doing. And that's you pretend, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, um, cause I do remember, I think Trump, well, actually, okay. Among the few black men who are Trump supporters, again, they're few, but, some of them who, um, as a reason to vote for Trump, they will say, well, what about Biden and the crime bill? Like Biden has, like, as far as I know, Biden has not really had like a major mea culpa when it comes to the, to the 94. Oh, well, that, and that was the other major. So the first was immigration and then the race thing. I think he landed another huge body blow mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, he told Biden he was in. Here's the thing: like Trump came. You know, Trump said he said two things. He said, "I am the least racist person in the room." He's like, oh, "It's God. so dark in here, I can't see <laughs> everyone, but I guarantee you, I'm the least racist person in the room." And then he said, "Donald Trump has done more for Black Americans than any president, except maybe Abraham Lincoln." Right? Oh my God. And and I'm sitting here going, "This is absurd," but but on the other hand. Trump has this way with words where he's yeah. he has an argument behind this somewhere. I know it. He's not yeah. just saying this. Mm-hmm. He thought of this. And he I think he said it because he knew at least that he had uh, leverage over Biden on the 94 crime bill. And he brought yeah. it up mm-hmm. and he said, you know, he said that the 94 crime bill 
created the mass incarceration problem of black men that I am the first president to try and fix through the bipartisan First Step Act, which is true. That, yeah, that is... It is true. Factually true, yeah. On, yeah, it's just... a bipartisan uh, bill that had enthusiastic Democratic support, mm -hmm. which he, you know, he flipped and said, I I think it was actually uh, uh, Jared Kushner, of all people, that flipped him on this, Mm. to say that they needed to support prison reform and start to try and pull back uh, first, they got rid of the crack cocaine distinction, which has been long yeah. a part of that problem. And then they 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 started scaling back some of the mandatory sentencing guidelines. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, Trump at that time supported a bill. And he said to Biden, he said, why didn't you do it? He's like, you're all talk. You had eight years and you didn't do any of it. That's true. Uh, and I mean, to Obama's credit although what he did wasn't it wasn't a form of legislation but what obama did is he put in response to you know the ferguson protests of 2014 he did put several police departments under consent decree to to basically force them to have reforms now like the flip side would be like okay obama did put police departments under consent decree and then when trump came in office oops sorry something dropped um when Trump came in office, uh, his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, basically ripped it up. He was like, all right, we're not going to do that executive order anymore. So, like, if Biden were smart, he could have said that. But I think that's I think um, it seems like Trump's strategy is, yeah, using immigration and race as like a wedge issue against Biden, because I think um, – because I think Trump and the Republicans know deep down they're not going to win over large swaths of – black voters but what they can do is depress enthusiasm for biden from exactly exactly and i I think that's what he was doing was that is like basically instilling further cynicism in biden and this is where like the real fault lies with the democratic party and the dnc and the democratic party establishment for pushing joe biden as the candidate to beat trump instead of bernie sanders because if Bernie Sanders were on there, Trump wouldn't have that kind of he wouldn't have that kind of baggage to bring up that Biden has, with, especially when it comes to race. Because like the thing with Biden before he became vice president, his major thing as a senator was working with segregationists to um, stall. Like literally Strom Thurmond as mm-hmm. the co-sponsor of the bill. Literally Strom Thurmond. Yeah, like, Strom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to stall any progress on desegregation efforts in the 70s. And then he was a staunch drug warrior. And he was so far, like, he was so far right. He actually pushed even Reagan, I think, early in the 80s to become more harsh on uh, drugs and and, um, exploding, like, embracing mass incarceration. So, you know, that, that was... Along with, I mean, if you're looking at Biden's career as a politician, um, next to being a, basically a handyman for the credit card industry, it's also being the guy who's like the architect, a major architect of mass incarceration and a basically a Pied Piper in leading that. Because um, 
I mean, yeah, like Hillary Clinton, you know, she's the one who said the super pre- super predator predator comment. But when it comes to actual legislation, yeah, Biden Biden has his hands all over it, and and then you add in Kamala Harris, and speaking as someone who's in California, um, you know, anybody who knows like who's who knows uh, California politics well, especially on like the Bay Area local level, like people are familiar about like how harsh Kamala Harris was as a. San Francisco um, DA and California AG. So like these, you, it's it's not hyperbole to call Kamala Harris the top cop because that's how she referred to herself. So you have two candidates who are very staunch when it comes to the police state and the prisons, the mass incarceration at a time when there has been large social upheavals and social movements against those things. So it's like, why would the Democrats go for these people? Like it's, I mean, it's, it shows like how out of touch and how much the democratic party doesn't, does not, does not reflect their constituency. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't watch the, that. The part, overall like, yeah. feeling I get from the Dem Party when they, in terms of how they talk to, uh, you know, the uh, the black vote that they're supposedly trying to court, it it really feels like high pressure sales tactics where they're like, <laughs> do you want to help yourself or do you, you know, like, do do you, like, uh, it's it's this very passive aggressive tone. Yeah, And, you know, when you said like, well, it's not necessarily that Trump is in any way trying to win the black vote because that's impossible, but just to suppress um, enthusiasm for Biden to, to maybe lower turnout, like, okay, fine. I mean, that's his strategy. But in my opinion, if that's like, if the Democrats are afraid that that might be effective, that's a bargaining chip. Yeah. And I think yeah. the thing that the high pressure sales tactics are meant to do is to basically tell black voters that you don't have any right to self-interest. You have to be a team player. You have to be on yes. team Democrat. Right. Right. Like you're not allowed to have self-interest. The only people who are allowed to have self-interest is the swing is the mythical swing, the white swing vote. Yes. Sitting out there somewhere in the Midwest. Yes. They're the ones who are allowed to vote in their self-interest, and we've got to do a deep down analysis of their self-interest and what's good mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we got to put together a package to appeal to them because they're the ones who matter. Yeah. And I, you know, well, they're the, they're the ones who matter, yes, but in a way, it's also it, they're they're only the ones who matter because they've already like counted the black vote. Yeah. So yeah. if you've already harvested the black vote, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. So, and, and also like the way our system is set up, like, you know, those white swing voters in places like, you know, Ohio, West Virginia, um, Wisconsin, um, like th- just our whole like electoral system when it comes to the popular vote and the, um, the electoral college, like those white swing voters are strategically like in terms of where they live, they're strategically placed where their votes do matter when it comes to like hair splitter elections. But yeah, like they're so focused on um, appealing to them when the other strategy that progressives would say is like, well, just appeal to your actual base, which are working class people and non it's mostly like working class people and non-whites like that's the if, if the democrats are supposed if 
the Democrats have like a base in terms of giving them any kind of legitimacy at, as a party, it's working class people and non-white voters. Um, but yeah, they just assume non-white voters, especially black voters that are, well, they're going to vote Democrat anyway, so who cares? We're not going to try to even appeal to them. We're going to appeal to white swing voters. And especially like now they're trying to appeal to like, I think it's like white suburban moms in key suburbs, like um, places like Virginia and shit, like people who live in like, uh, yeah, like, like rich suburbs in that are like near um, defense contractors and shit like that. Or uh, yeah, they're, they're more interested in appealing to them, but it's like, okay, you're appealing so much to them that you're forgetting the people who give your party any sense of legitimacy which are poor people working class people and also like people who don't even vote like those people are more likely to vote democrat or progressive than any of those white swing voters like as we were saying earlier when it comes to white people they're largely more conservative versus like if you look at the numbers of non-voters they're mostly working class lower income and non-white and it's like why not appeal to them like get them riled up to vote but um i mean i think that right there just shows like you know who the democratic party's interests like who they really serve as a party which is not the constituents that they claim on paper that they support but yeah like they're so obsessed with like the white swing voter which you know if you want to, if you're worried, if people are worried about like, uh, um, what should I call it? Like, like uh, those sorts of um, hair splitter votes in places like Wisconsin and Ohio. Well, you can counter that with like just getting more riling up your actual base. Because the thing is, that's that's what Trump does. Like, Trump knows how to. It, like, when you look at Trump and his rallies, he really knows how to rile up his base. You know what I mean? Like if you look at his rallies, they are very, very excited and riled up versus Biden does not have that energy. Like (laughs) I think most of Biden's energy is his people are just mad at Trump. Like they're counting on just anti-Trump anger. But in terms of Trump, he really speaks for that white, that aggrieved white angst. Like he really, really, he really, really represents them. And And that's, like all the blue lives matter stuff, you know, the blue lives matter flag, all that shit. Like he really, he really tapped into that energy. I think more so than other Republicans. I think that's why he was able to win in the 2016 Republican primary. He was able to appeal to the Republican party's actual constituents, which are, yeah, white, aggrieved white people who want to consciously vote on their whiteness more than anything else. Like and even and even when they talk about stuff like immigration, that's just code for well, we just want a permanent white country. They don't want any, you know, people from darker countries coming in and like messing up with the demographics of the country. So yeah, yeah Trump Trump knows how to Trump really knows how to play and speak to that base, whereas the Democrats do not like their base at all. Like they're more interested. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they have different kinds of appeal, right? Like, I think Trump, in many ways, I think part of the reason he's such an ineffective leader is because 
because he knows how to appeal to that sort of base, the more sort of like bait quote baser instincts, right. Mm-hmm. That he then, he therefore becomes kind of uh captive to those instincts, meaning he doesn't really have a lot of sway with his base. He just knows how to rile them up, but he can't convince them of anything. Right. So I think that they would turn on him if he were to speak against their interests. In, yeah. Or, or you know what I mean? Like he is very much a salesman, meaning like he's got a he's really captive to what his audience wants. And so I think that's why he's a bad leader because in an ineffectual one, because he can't actually change or lead his base. He can only, you know, uh, uh, appease it and appeal to it. And I think that the Democrats are different. They're trying to lead their base. They're trying to manipulate their base into supporting the things they want to support. Mm. And in a way, I feel like there might be some like grass is greener on both sides to some extent to say, I think, I think actually that the base Trump's base is kind of disappointed in him at some level. I think that they know that yeah. he's, yeah, like he, they're not happy with the buffoonery mm-hmm. uh, and the sort of like buffoon image that he's given himself. And I'm I'm pretty sure that they're not happy about the way he fucked up the trade war and COVID and all this stuff. Yeah. But on the other hand, they got no, that like that's still their man. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. whereas with Democrats, it's the same thing. It's what you're saying. It's like they, you know, it's maybe they could be effective managers of the state, but they really don't know. They don't understand us. They don't understand people. They don't understand what gets us going, you know, like, yeah, whereas Trump does, you know. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good point. Yeah, because I think because um, some people are I mean, well, it's it's too at this point that we're recording like October 26th, like it's it's hard to tell, like who will win but biden has a pretty good lead over trump and um i don't want to make i don't want to make any like predictions but um i i I do think yeah like what kind of to what you're saying um i think like the i think the people that trump needs to win which are like those suburban swing voters, I think he's lost quite a bit of them because of, yeah, the co- how he handled COVID. Because I remember watching a video. It was um, it was a news interview, and they were talking to swing voters in Florida who had who previously voted for Trump in 2016, and they were beginning to lose hope in him. Like they were they weren't happy with him, and some of them were leaning toward Biden. And the reason, a major reason was. Um, they got tired of the buffoonery, like his antics. They were like, they thought he was just too much of a buffoon. And also, um, uh, the way he mishandled the, the pandemic, because especially for like older people, because given what we know about, the, about COVID-19 people who are elderly are more at risk of dying of COVID. Um, and so the old, the, a lot of those old people, uh, that I noticed in that video, like they were, they're like, Hey, look, like we're, we're at risk of dying of COVID. He's not doing anything about it. Like what, what? So yeah, I think like, I think you're right. Like in terms of actual governing Trump is he, yeah, he, um, he, he, yeah, he's pretty much an idiot. Like he doesn't know how to actually govern versus someone like a Mitch McConnell or even a Mike Pence like their ideology is the same as Trump, but they, they know how to govern. Like they know, basically they know how to use like the levers of the state and the government to get what they want and to fulfill their agenda. Whereas 
Trump is all demagoguery and bluster, but he, it, like, he doesn't know how to govern. And it, it also seems like he has no interest in governing because he's motivated purely by ego and narcissism, which, you know, yeah, that can appeal to like the lizard brain element of the GOP base. But, you know, when it comes to stuff like, okay, you know, what are you going to do on tax cuts? Um, basically uh, pleasing the, the interest that matter, like Wall Street, um, big oil, uh, the, the military industrial complex, like all those interests that um, basically run this country and run the empire. Um, yeah, like Trump, because like, even if you look at like the military, he pissed off a lot of people in the military that he actually needs, like especially um, uh, John Bolton and uh jim maddox uh jim mattis um he pissed off a lot of people in the military that like any other normal republican i don't think would have done that they would have wanted people in the military to be on their side but um yeah yeah i think that ties to your point that he uh just as a just as someone who like a politician he's just yeah he sucks at governing and um that's why i think like you know, I don't know if his chances of being reelected are are that good because um, that stuff only goes. It only takes you so far. At some point, like yeah, you actually you have to actually govern, and if you can't actually yeah, exactly. govern, right? Yeah. But but see, that's the scary part because I I think he's just the opening act of something, and mm. that mm. In, in if you know, I mean, theories are a dime a dozen now. I I have one. My theory, I think, is that the Mitch McConnell led Republicans at this point have given up on Trump to some degree. I think they know that I think so too. Yeah. I mean, he's not the future of the party, but I think that they now look at this election. I I, I feel like they almost want to throw the election. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, (laughs) uh, know, I I feel like, I I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't really think that they're the, the, the Democrats and the liberals are talking about this, like mask, you know, uh, there's going to be like, a constitutional crisis. I don't think so. I think we're going to have a fairly, I predict, of course that's worthless, but I, I think we're going to have a fairly orderly election and I think Trump will lose. Yeah. But I think that what they're doing is they're trying to create as big a mess as possible yeah. for Biden. Yeah. So that when Biden takes over, he's literally taking over the absolute worst situation that any president has ever inherited and then they're going to spend four years pinning it all on the democrats yes yes yep and that will pave the way for something truly horrifying oh in 2024 we we, no that that's similar to like what peter and i have been have been thinking and even saying that okay uh, yeah peter yeah peter was saying that uh we'll probably get like president tucker carlson in 2024 or something like yeah some some or like just yeah I I definitely think that too. I I definitely think that, you know, let's say Biden wins in this election in 2024, we're going to get like an even worse Republican. And actually, as we're talking, um, uh, the U.S. Senate just confirmed Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, um, 52 to 48. And um, yeah, the whole resistance crowd, they didn't put up much of a fucking fight to you know, prevent this. Dom- <laughs> so I think, and I actually, I think like, you know, when push comes to shove, at least right now, the Republicans, I think they want 
the Supreme Court more than the presidency because the Supreme Court, like that's a lifetime appointment. So it's like, yes, yes. you know, they can get like, okay, they can get a six to three conservative majority on a Supreme Court, which is like, uh, like y- y- that's, that's going to benefit them far more in the long term than having Trump as president because I think even for like Republican leaders in the, the in terms of the Republican establishment, Trump is too much of a uh, liability. And I think um, I think the thing that made him even more of a liability is when uh, <laughs> in a moment of Schadenfreude he he got infected with COVID nineteen yeah, after after denying how bad it was. Like he he got it and like okay yeah like he's alive right now, but you know. It doesn't look good when you have a president who's been saying COVID-19 is not that serious, but then not only does he get affected, but people in his inner circle and staff get infected. Like that, And you're the leader of the free world. Yeah, and pay attention to what other Republicans, like mainstream Republicans are doing, because like they're, as far as I can tell, kind of letting Trump and his minions like hang themselves, and mm-hmm. they're not really following him at, on that ledge. Like McConnell's wearing a mask. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they're not playing that game, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not saying anything against him either. So they're I feel like the 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 sort of traditional uh wing of the Republican Party is still very much in control, but they're waiting this out. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think that the traditional wing of the Republican Party has always wanted to shift much, much harder to the right. Yes. And than 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 even before. Like, yeah. you know, uh and and They've seen now with Trump, I think, a different way forward that instead of like during the Obama years where they needed uh, Boehner to, uh, you know, give off a sense, at least some sense of bipartisanship, right? Like some Mm -hmm. sense of civility Mm -hmm. that post-Trump, they're going to be like totally different direction. We are going to paint the Democrats as, you know, the very – like the very end of American existence. Like if you have, if you, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're just going to go so far off the deep end. And I fear that I, I fear that a lot more than Trump, but I think Trump is paving the way for something pretty bad. I I think so too. No, I I think you're right. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, one thing that Republicans do that, um, I don't know what to call it. Like the liberal left, spectrum in the united states which often includes the democratic party the republican the republicans and the conservative movement um i think they they see themselves as working toward a um a long-term political project a long-term political vision and each election they're playing for like, okay, we need to get our ducks lined up in a row to fulfill this larger long-term political project. Like their base, what they're doing is running a long distance race versus the liberal left in the United States. Like they're treating politics like a sprint where it's like, okay, we just need to win this election every four years. Okay, so let's say you win the election like in 2008 and 2012 with Obama. Well, what's the long-term vision? Well, uh, we just, you know, the Republicans are bad and we have to make sure that they just don't get in the way. Okay, but what's the long-term project? 
because I because the thing is like when I get in arguments with like people I know who um like this time around during election time, you know, when I say like, yeah, the Democrats, you know, um, uh, you know, like, like, you know, basically I'll say like, yeah, Republicans suck, but like Democrats aren't any better. And they'll say like, you know, what, what do you think is a lot? What do you think we should do? And I say like, well, you know, why don't you like people should get involved in political organizations, um, start organizing on the local level, like do things there to build up toward like, basically do the things that you need to do in order to work toward a long-term progressive political vision. But when I say that, like, it's like, it goes, it goes in one ear and out the other because they're so, well, focused. I don't think it exists. Cause I, I agree. And I don't think it exists. That's the problem. I think mm-hmm. that, that the advantage that the right has is that they have like a common vision. Yes. Yes. And it is racially determined. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's heavily racially determined. And with and the thing with Trump is like when I say that the Republicans don't want Trump anymore, but they want his supporters. And yes. I think they want the ideology that animates his supporters. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're going to out Trump Trump. I think what Trump did was sort of unmask what was going on. Yeah. You know, behind like what the Republican ideology really is. And we, we can see it in all its like sort of, sort of ugly, nasty reality and i think that scared the republican establishment to say like oh, you're look you're saying the you're saying the uh the the soft part loud mm-hmm. i think they continue to be a little bit horrified by that but now they're they may see this opening where they're like you know some of the chaos that trump has sown in terms of these uh uh all the civil unrest and stuff like maybe we could finally maybe we should take a more confrontational approach yeah you know, right. and I think that they're going to be, you know, the whole this the quote civil unrest, mm-hmm. um, which which is interesting because a lot of the the violence that I see between uh you know like right wing and proud boys and all that stuff and like Antifa mm-hmm. is a lot of like white on white violence. Yeah, but in the media it gets conflated into like white versus black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? Is that yeah. just me? Or no, no, I've noticed the same thing. Yeah, like because I think um, because I okay, I'll, I'll tell this story. Um, maybe maybe I shared it previously, but I'll, I'll I'll share it again for this episode. I I remember back in 2014, it was after um, Officer Darren Wilson, who was a police officer who shot and killed Michael Brown in Ferguson 2014, and um. It was November of that of 2014, and Darren Wilson was acquitted. And there was a protest in Oakland that grew bigger over time and became like a massive like, like it was almost like close to an uprising. Like it was a lot of people, and there was um, a lot of anger. Like it got so it got so big that people took over the freeway. That's how big it was. Like there's like a major freeway in Oakland that's like near. Uh, lake Merritt, and yeah people took over the freeway that's how big it was and um there was a lot of um real anger and frustration from uh black and brown youth i noticed that like especially black youth there was a lot of anger but um the the stuff with um because i think you know this is kind of getting to like especially when you get into deep like movement activist stuff um 
there's like a kind of dialectic that goes on because there are going to be some black folks who are like, hey, don't do property damage. We don't want to destroy our neighborhood. And then there are some black people who are rightfully angry and just don't give a fuck and are going to just engage in property damage. It's That's not a moral judgment. It's just that's what happens, right? Like when people are angry about injustice, that's what happens. I mean, it happens in other parts of the world, right? Like when there's some kind of case of injustice, that's what happens. People break shit. So America is not that different from 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 other countries, um, but I think like yeah, like in in the U in the U S like uh, there are um, yeah white um, antifa people who um, uh, like yeah like they they will engage in um, basically confrontations to uh, ba- at counter protests against uh, fat. Uh, basically yeah like the far right and fascist and actually wait a good example there is actually one in san francisco not not too long ago i wasn't there but that protest i didn't go but like from the videos i saw it was mostly yeah like white antifa counter protesters versus proud boys but most of the violence and actually in in all those kinds of confrontations most of the violence is coming from the far right because they want to they they're the ones who want to instigate the violence and so antifa often shows up as counter protesters to basically yeah beat back the far right which i agree with but at the same time um i think this is just i think a reality that people just have to accept is that the far right they are far more prepared for violence and really want to do violence where as I don't think you can say that's the same case for the left. You know what I mean? Like, like Oh those- yeah, and I think I think the reason is that the far right knows that it has like far deeper backing mm-hmm. even if it's invisible. Mm-hmm. Yes. That fundamental like they have the police on their side. They have yep. the sympathy of like a huge majority of like white people. Mhm. They have now like Fundamentally speaking, I feel like the the far right is the beast that lives within and everyone kind of knows that. And our job is to like tame that beast, even though yes. everyone mm-hmm. understands that it exists and it's very real. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's us. Right. I think even like white liberals understand that, that, yeah. you know, like there is an appeal to that mentality that there is a fundamental rightness to the idea of America as a white nation, mm-hmm. that demographic change is a threat that, you know, like liberals, I think will concede all these things. And I'm like, you're conceding everything when you start that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like liberals to me, like they fight over, like they fight over speed, but not direction. Oh, that's a good. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and and, and it, they're all about tapping the brakes, but they don't really understand that, like, they're fu- they're fundamentally pointed in the in this direction where they just don't have the understanding that they are supposedly on the same side as people who really don't see things the same way. Like, if you if you talk to like, let's let's just take let's not even talk about like, um, uh, 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 black liberals, but let's talk about like a lot of like Latino people in this country. Like they don't view America the same way as white people. 
Mm. You know, like they mm-hmm. don't see it the same way. They don't see borders the same way. They don't see the future of America. They don't see American culture the same way. They don't live in America the same way. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? And mm. uh, they don't they don't hold those assumptions about the fundamental rightness or not rightness, like the fundamental fact factness of it. Like, yeah. Do you know, like yeah. even liberal white liberals will be like, yeah, it's a fact that America is a white country. Yeah. They'll just like that's a fact to, to them that mm-hmm. somehow is undeniable. Right. And I think that, that that's why I think the right wing has that confidence because even the opposition they know fundamentally is just saying don't act upon what we all kind of understand. Yes, and actually so two things um I was reading a thread oh shit I forgot where it was but someone explained it. Uh, someone brought up that I think it was some interview where they were talking to like a white supremacist and how they uh, do recruitment. And they say that um, they actually have an appeal with white liberals in the sense that it, to your point, basically what the, the message that white supremacists say to white liberals is that like, Hey, look, we both know this is, this is a white country. Look at your neighborhoods. Your neighborhoods are all white. The schools you go to are all white. Your culture and your way of life is all white and European. Okay, maybe you have some black friends, Latino friends, like Asian friends. But at the end of the day, in terms of who controls this country and what this country is founded on, is founded on whiteness. And so what white supremacists say to white liberals is that basically just act on what you're already doing. Just act on what you're already right. doing. Because especially right. with white right. yeah. Yeah, because white liberals, especially like, okay, California, I think is a, like where I live in California, the Bay Area is a really good example. Like, because there are all these like white people, like white liberals who have like Black Lives Matter signs, but a lot of black people would be like, oh, you're living in a gentrified neighborhood where you already kicked out the black population and now you have a Black Lives Matter sign. Like, there's more Black Lives Matter signs than black people in certain areas. And it's like, okay, yeah, like, okay, you want to, you know, because white liberals think, I think what white liberals try to do is like, there's like a level of cognitive dissonance. Like they want to enjoy the privileges and spoils of a white American way of life, but still convince them that they're a good person theoretically. Because one thing about liberalism in general and people who engage in liberalism um not just the ideology, but people in like liberal institutions like media, academia, what they pride themselves on is intellectual and moral superiority. So with white liberals, they will engage in perpetuating a white American status quo, but they claim a moral and intellectual superiority over their white conservative relatives and say like, well, I'm not like them. I'm a good white person. I am multicultural. I support Black Lives Matter. I support, you know, I'm an ally to immigrants, uh, those sorts of things. Like their activism is purely moral and intellectual exercise. And this is the point like Peter and I talk about on Real Sun Car Hours is that like, okay, you can say all this stuff, but if you're not doing anything, like you have to give up certain things as a white person in terms of your overall way of life and your privileges if you're going to actually act on the very anti-racism that you say because especially like with these anti-racism discourse and stuff really what it is is like a homework assignment for guilty white people it's like as long as you read the right books 
you're a good white person. You're not going to change your behavior. And at the end of the day, like white supremacists know that they'd know that like, okay, yeah, like you guys are full of shit, basically. Like you're, you're living the same white American way of life that is founded on violence that we are. The white supremacists just say to white liberals, just act on it. And, um, for, and, and that puts like white liberals, I think in a interesting bind, because I know it's like what, what white people who I know who are friends of mine, who are, who have like genuine progressive anti-racist beliefs and, and I'll have conversations with them. Like some of them will say like, kind of, this is what, to what we're talking about. Like they will have, um, relatives who are very, very conservative and racist and them as individuals, they believe in challenging racism, anti-racism, progressive beliefs, left-wing beliefs, and are, you know, like, at least the ones I know, this is just my own, like, kind of inner circle. That's not, it's probably not totally reflect, reflective of all, all, like, white liberals and progressives, but, like, they will actually be engaged in, they'll be doing some activism, but um, they they will have to, they often have to confront the white people that they know in their own inner circles who are if they're not proud boys, like they're not too far from it in terms of being pushed in that direction. And they know it. And I think mm-hmm. like, I think like white liberals and white progressives deep down, they know they have like proud boys in their families. But I would say to I them, think they, I think they know they have proud boys in themselves. That's, right. I yeah. Say that. yeah. Right. They have it in themselves too. And so it's like, in order for white people to be effective, it's like they have to learn how to fight that, like fight it with, uh, like they're going to have to fight the proud boy in themselves and they're probably going to have to throw hands at the proud boys in their families. Um, cause yeah. Cause I, I'd actually know like, um, a white person who's like actually my former teacher. And he was saying that, um, he said that his kids, um, have cut themselves off from his dad because his dad is way too racist. And he was saying, like, you know, this is a generational thing because he was like, I love my dad, but I don't agree with his racist stuff. But, you know, he would try to, I guess, have it both ways. You know, that's his dad, right? It's hard to kind of distance yourself from your own, like, father, you know, just that blood blood relationship. Right. right. But um, I, the difference is that, like, his kids are like, hey, f- fuck grandpa like we don't want anything to do with him and so um yeah i had a, I, I was i was talking with him about it and i said like because I, I i know him pretty well so we we're we we're having like this conversation and i was just saying like you know um maybe it would be better if like your kids actively confronted your grandfather like instead of just cutting themselves off because because you ever have you ever noticed like speaking of white liberals like every thanksgiving there's always this ritual where like white people are like, I have to talk yeah. to my racist uncle. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. to be it's more a trope effe- at this point. Right. But maybe to be more effective, they probably be better off of, of actively challenging their white relatives, like confronting and fighting them, not just running away t- to be like, Oh, I'm going to disassociate well, myself. Can, can I offer this? I, cause I, yeah. I think this is a point that I've seen a lot of people struggle over, which is, like, on the one hand, you know, there is something redeemable to the white liberal progressive who is trying, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's totally insufficient. And I think one of the problems for me, I used to think of liberals this way. 
and I, I've kind of revised. Now, I mm. used to think of white liberals as being ahistoric, meaning that they lived within these sort of like abstracted and sort of immaterial notions of sort of their own sense of justice and right and wrong and whatever. And, and, yeah. and so therefore they kind of like ignored history, but then that's not totally true either because they're increasingly aware of history and they're embracing it and yet still nothing's changing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think they're kind of living in this sort of unearned post history where mm. <laughs> everything's history, right? Everything's right. history. We are living in there. They, they believe, I think that they're, it, and I think liberals do this. They're cut off from history in a way. They're cut off from something. Yeah. I've no. I think this goes pretty deep, and I've and and we've done pods where we analyze like a lot of um, uh, like white sort of liberal type movies mm. where there's a deep sense of like being cut off from history, like uh, like this Pixar movie that came out um, called. What, what what was it called? It was it was the recent one that was about like these like sort of magical like elf type <laughs> shit. I forgot what it's called. <laughs> but basically, it's like they're like they used to be like you know great wizards, but they got somehow cut off from that history, and they're just trying to rediscover his father and all this stuff. Anyway, that's neither here there nor there. The point is that the what I see happening is that there's an assumption that they live in a sort of enlightened present there was a moment Uh. of like sort of like modern rational enlightenment that occurred and Mm -hmm. we're now living in that phase but Mm -hmm. that but that somehow the residue of this ugly history has crept into the present Mm -hmm. and what we need to do is scrub it clean of that we need to to sort of like re-cleanse cleanse and purify the sort of like enlightened present that we're in. But I think the problem with their position is that they assume that we have actually figured it all out. We just are not perfect enough to achieve that. Right. Right. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's not, it's not there. The ideal to me is not there. They don't have, in my opinion, an adequate grasp of understand grasp of understanding. One, I don't think that ideal exists. And two, that we are actually living in a continuous sort of a continuous uh, moment that is directly connected to and informed by and created by and is a product, direct product of history. And we can't just escape it through this sort of like imagined notion of uh, of a modernity enlightenment point, which we right. can neither place nor identify but we just kind of assume is there like right yeah do you know do you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. it's it's removed mm -hmm. from i mean to use marx to use a marxist term it's removed from materialism it's removed yes yes it's it's immaterial it's removed from material conditions because i noticed this um in my own uh mfa program because i think like what you're talking about animates the I would say animates the ideology of a lot of graduate programs. Um, I I can only speak on MFA because that's what I was in, but I think like, you know, that ideology is there, you know, even in like maybe like other PhD programs, whereas like, I bet I'm for sure. Yeah. 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 And so basically the idea is that like, we know that, uh, 
this thing is like the world is fucked up like they know that um slavery happened and genocide happened and it shapes the current conditions of our day and da 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 like they 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 know that they aren't yes. stupid right? right but um the thing is like what they think as like a way to fight it is just well let's just like fight in the discourse like let's just it's all a discursive fight it's not an actual fight where they themselves have to take a personal risk and fight in the real world because like you can't fight racism imperialism and all these things that they, they complain about and that they i wouldn't well not all of them complain about it but they're aware of it like you can't fight that stuff just in the discourse or with updating words and terminology you have to be engaged in the real world and fight in the real world. And when it comes to white liberals in terms of the position they're in, um, they themselves have to go through like a process of um, like uh, ego death, like kind of like a, because even like, if you look at like the history of um, other revolutionary movements, including like, you know, groups like the black Panthers, um, part of the their revolutionary consciousness is actually a process of self-transformation like in order to be effective in changing the world you also have that you go through a period of self-transformation right because mm. you have to mm, kind yeah. of leave the old stuff behind in order to move forward and create a new society that's what a revolution is revolutionism is basically creating a new society because you know the society you live in is fundamentally fucked up so the only way to change it is through radical and revolutionary means right and um what a lot of those white liberals i think they want the radical politics in terms of rhetoric and especially with the days of so the day of social media everyone's doing it like twitter and hashtags and saying the right things but it's like you can say all the right stuff but what are you going to do in the real world to change material conditions and with white liberals this is going back to what i was saying um they have to be willing to um engage in real world fights in their own white bubbles that they have access to so like if they're like a white liberal living in um marin county okay i'll use marin county as a good example for those who don't know marin county is north of san francisco it's an incredibly rich very white county north of san francisco so but also marin county is very very liberal very liberal very progressive in terms of rhetoric but it's like okay well how come a place like marin county exists like it doesn't exist by accident right like there are laws in place that create neighborhoods like Marin County where you have concentrations of wealth that exist in white neighborhoods and then black and brown neighborhoods are the complete opposite, right? So those white people have to be willing to like basically fundamentally change like what Marin County actually looks like. At least I'm I'm starting small, but this is, you know, this is start small and like go big. But my point is that like they have to take that fight in the real world. And what it entails for them is risking a lot. They have to basically they have to take a lot of risks as white people to give up certain things. They do. They do, but I don't think they even want that. 
No, that's they the don't. Thing, is like, <laughs> yeah, I don't exactly. Think, I don't even think it's that they're not willing to take the risk. I don't even think they want to identify a place like a marine. Right. Exactly. And I think that's part. And I think that's part of the liberal frame that is. And I've been so. This is such an interesting conversation. I think like. And I know originally we wanted to talk about Pan-Africanism, and I think that this – we should do a part two at some point <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. very soon to to talk about Pan-Africanism because where we're at now I think will segue into that because I think – and I'll tee it up now because I think that you know you sent me over some links about Pan-Africanism. Yeah. And what was interesting to me is how polar opposite it is to liberal attitudes because it yes. is actually saying to reassert the concept of race – Mm-hmm. rather than the liberal notion that race is just a social construct and we would do well to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, this is such a huge, it's such a deep topic I've noticed. Like <laughs> it's just, it, 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 it informs like everything. It's like basically like the shape of everything now in America. Yeah. And with the liberal, two things. One is I've noticed that the liberals, white liberals will exalt and almost hold up say black radical activism of a past era mm-hmm. up almost at a transcendent level like put it up on a pedestal oh right right but but they they buff it out meaning mm-hmm. when they get too close to it it makes them uncomfortable because yes. there are things <laughs> the reality of it does not live up to what they think it should represent Yes, yes. And I think yes. a lot of that in my opinion is because black and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm I'm, you know, but I'm comfortably stepping out of my lane a little here. I'm no expert on this. Sure. But I yeah. would say that what I understand about black radicalism and what you sent me in terms of like let's say the concept of negritude, right? Yes. is a radical sense of racial self-interest. Yes. that black people should do things for black people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that that is a the 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 conception of there even being such a thing as black self interest mm-hmm. is a radical thought, and I think it is a radical thought in the sense that it actually makes white people and white liberals and progressives extremely uncomfortable because it doesn't <laughs> include them. Yes, it doesn't exactly. include them. It, yes, right. Yes, <laughs> and then the other so that's number one, and number two is. That because it doesn't include them, I think that the white liberal who has defined themselves through what seems to be a sense of social justice and a sense of social well-being of giving themselves to the greater good through their liberal activities, Mm -hmm. be it talking to their – I don't know what they do – fundraisers, voting for the Democrats, et cetera, et cetera. and – yeah. Nonprofits, all that stuff. Yeah. That they have convinced themselves – that they are doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but what's missing in that is a sense of self-interest for themselves. I don't know if the liberal understands their own stake in what it is that they want. Yeah. What do you know what I mean? And so yeah. the, at best, I think what happens to the white liberal over time at an individual level mm-hmm. is the constant ways in which personal success overcomes any other sense of self-interest. Right. So they can say whatever they want. They can be as pro as woke and pro black as they want. But at the end of the day, 
the animating compulsions of, of them as human beings, because they don't have any sense of greater group belonging or self, or even a, or even a vision of what they want America to be for real, like an actionable, mm-hmm. obtainable vision of America that because all of that to them is just abstracted notions of like what's woke, what's right, what's politically correct, that it's weak. And ultimately, if you look at their behavior, personal ambition, personal success trumps all of that. Okay, that's the end of uh, part one of this pod. Um, If you want to listen to the remainder of it, um, I think it goes for another hour and a half or so. Um, That'll be on the Patreon feed.